The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Living Well with Ann Beal. Our show is a health show, a lifestyle show, and an empowerment show rolled into one. Get ready to hear some stories of success, healthy living tips, and suggestions to get motivated and live your best life. Now, here is your host, Ann Beal. Hello, friends. Welcome to our show, From Prison to Successful Female Entrepreneur. No matter how low you have fallen, and no matter how far you think you are away from your dreams, no matter how bad you feel about yourself. Our guest today, Carrie, is going to share her personal story today of success. She has been through more than most people I know, and she wants to encourage, motivate, empower, give you hope, and give you strength to believe in your dreams, to believe that someday you too can live the life you've always wanted to live, And someday you too can live your dream. So listen close, friends, to Carrie as she shares today. Oh, good morning, Ann. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Welcome to you know, welcome for being here. Um, I know that for you, you share your story all over the area in courts and in prisons. You actually go into prisons. So do you go into women's prisons? Uh, Yes, I go into women's prison. I feel like my story really resonates with women especially so that's where I try to focus on helping just really giving hope especially to prisoners that even though they are where they're at anything's possible if they just let God take control well you know what's interesting is I've known you for a while yes and um you're very successful and and I never knew your background and you opened up to me not that long ago, and told me you really want to share your story. And um, I was very excited. I, I, you probably thought that I would just be like, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe I know this person. And yet it was the opposite. I was just so excited to know how far you've come. Because for me, you know, people want to hear that. And it's so empowering to others to know. And, um, you know, if you've been depressed, which I know you went through depression, mm-hmm. You know how hard it is to believe that anything's going to get better. And um, so what do you say to those people? Well, honestly, I was very nervous to share with you because you know me in a professional environment. Um, And so sometimes I think that people are judgmental. But for some reason that day, I felt the Holy Spirit really speaking to me. And I just decided to reach out and share with you. And I'm really glad that I did because... My message is very powerful, and I think it needs to get out. I think just to give people hope and and show them how powerful grace and mercy is and how far it can go. I mean, it's sometimes I look at my life and I'm shocked. it's It's better than anything I ever thought would be possible. So that message needs to get out. 
It does need to get out. So you started sharing in prisons. How how is that when you go in there? Um, to be perfectly honest, it was really hard the first time to walk back into a prison, <laughs> not as a prisoner. All right. Um, I didn't have to say my TDC number. I didn't have to squat and cough. I mean, all those horrible feelings that you go through in prison. It was really interesting to walk through as a as a visitor, and know that I could walk out freely. So once I got past those, though, the nerves of that, um, it was the most powerful thing I ever experienced. It was. Um, I know I was there to help help the the ladies, but I think I I got more help from it than they did. To be honest, I felt so it is very healing, and um, and those the first time I got so many letters um, back from those ladies just telling me how much hope they have, and you know they couldn't believe that I had been where they were and where I was at now. It was just very empowering, and um, it, it did a lot of healing for my soul. And I, I think that sharing your past and your pain, um, and you see it help others, it does. It does help you heal even more, more than you thought you even needed, I think. And th- that's why so much of recovery is based on helping others. And, and I think that so many people today, I mean, you know, there's this narcissistic statistic out there about more and more people are becoming very self-centered, self-focused. Um, but also because of that, they tend to focus more on their own pain instead of looking outward at others and um, helping others and getting their, that, that gets their focus off their own pain and gives them a different view of how bad they are. And I, I know for me, I've had people joke around all the time and say, I know why you're always in such a good mood. You you hear all these horrible stories and it makes you feel better <laughs> about your life or your husband or whatever. And and I just laugh and I, I and I said, Well, you know what? In, in lots of ways that's true because it keeps me clear about all my blessings and uh and, and not get too wrapped up in my own tragedies. And that God uses those tragedies to make us what we are today. And I can see that. I can so see that in you. And I was reading through all your story. Um, and even the way you use the serenity prayer to just encourage you and give you courage and embolden you. I mean, I can just see now when I see your life and what you've become, how that fits in perfectly. Yeah. Perfectly. You know, interesting enough, I just picked up my nine-year um, sobriety chip last month, and I didn't always do service work. Even though I was sober and I was learning to be a productive citizen and, and all these different things, I was not giving back. And so last year, um, I was at church, and they said, hey, um, this if you want to go to prison training, um, sign up here. And I thought, oh, maybe this is how I can be of service. So once that happened and um, I started doing it, that's when I really, really start feel, started feeling the impact of, you know, just the mercy and, and the grace that had been given to me. And that's when I start healing. Um, so, yeah, service work is definitely important and it's life-changing. So 
And you I, don't know it until you do no, it. No, and you don't. <laughs> and really, the only reason, it wasn't that I didn't want to share my life, but I, I have this horrible shyness. And I never felt like at an AA meeting or whatever, I could go up and tell my story. I was too scared. Oh, you never did that? Never. I was so, wondering. No. And so this whole time I was, you know, being sober, but I wasn't giving back. So I finally, you know, found a way that I could give back. And and when I went into the women's prison, I, I felt at ease because I was one of them. It, to, to me, it was totally different than um, than getting up at an AA meeting and sharing my story. I, I don't know why, but I guess that was my calling, you know, not in a different way. In AA, you can't really talk about God. You have to say higher power. And to me, that I didn't like that. I didn't know you couldn't do that. I mean, a lot of people will go, um, my higher power, who I choose to call God, you know, and I, I didn't want to put that part in it. I just want to say, God, Jesus, all these, you know, beautiful names that have saved me. And so I never felt OK with that. So I liked the prison ministry part because I could say all those things I really feel and that I know that are true. And I was so proud of you when you told me that you were doing prison ministry this far. I know about your background. Yes. And I was like, wow, that's Amazing that you have the courage to do that, you know, and why, why that? Why would you, why would you start there? You know, goodness, you know, you work your way up there to there, right? right? No, and you didn't. And so, but once I, yeah, that's just wonderful. I know that everyone would love to hear your story. Um, So I know that you do this a lot. So just start telling us where you start. Okay. So, um, I think the most important thing is to start from the beginning, and that's with my childhood. Um, my childhood, I would say, was a little bit rough. Um, I was born to 16-year-old um, children, <laughs> oh. so um, I don't think they loved each other at all. So love was not something that was expressed in my household. I think it was one of those, you got pregnant, you're getting married, and they didn't, didn't really fit together so it was a very violent yelling um no love and and it breaks my heart to even say this because I love both my parents dearly (laughs) you know they've grown up now and and they're really good people I think it was just their circumstances that's what I was born to um the other thing that was really significant was um there was absolutely no religion, no talk of God, no praying. I mean, that wasn't in my life. I, I really went through life thinking that I wasn't special enough to understand God. And because obviously you hear your friends at school go to church and mm-hmm. whatnot. So you hear these things, but I just never felt like I was special enough. I just did not get it. Like, I don't know. And I even remember in my 20s saying I was an atheist. (laughs) I didn't really know what that word meant, but I knew it was the opposite of God. So that's what I was sticking to. Well, and I I think that, you know, even for me, I was trying to read the Bible in college. And I I was, my grandmother was Christian and I went to Mm -hmm. church with her and I I was baptized. And I I didn't, but I didn't understand it, you know, not really. And I would try to read uh, the Bible and I wouldn't completely understand it, right? And so there was that feeling that there was something I didn't know. Right. And that's why I just some reason I wasn't clued in to the key. And uh, and so I do know what you were feeling in lots of ways, except you probably had anger or were you just in pain? I think I was in pain Um, along with that, you know, being raised by children. I think you're left a lot of times. Um, And I did. I did have a I'm the oldest of three. So I had a lot of responsibility. Like I was. um 
I was responsible for them. You know, I think I remember one of my earliest memories is um, being in kindergarten and it was my job to get myself up, to get myself dressed and to walk four blocks to school. Now, that didn't seem like a big deal as I was going through it. But when I look back now and I, I have a first grader, I think, I mean, I won't even let him walk down the block, let alone like that's just right. a huge responsibility. It know? is amazing to even realize a kindergartner could do that. It could. And not only that, get get the little brother ready. I, I don't remember the sister was not at school yet, but, you know, like that was my job. That that was it. And I think um, that I was just always responsible. And that led into me feeling like um, this perfectionism thing. Oh, goodness. Yes. So um, yes. I work on that every day. I, I just read before I came over here, excellence, not perfection. I mean, like I still struggle with that to this day. I think if I'm perfect, everything's just going to be okay and there'll be no no yelling, no fighting. If I do everything just right, it'll be okay. So that played a big part of some issues in my life, trying well, to be perfect. Yeah. As a kid, especially with yelling and screaming mm-hmm. and violence and that you would try so hard to do what you need to do to not get in trouble. Exactly. Or just bring anything. Like to me, I just, I never wanted my brother and sister to get in trouble. I, I don't know why. Like I just have a really gentle heart. And so to me, that was more important than me getting in trouble. So I was just always, you know, trying to control a lot of things. And that leads to, guess what? Alcoholism. OCD. <laughs> because, yeah. Obsessiveness. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to control every single mm-hmm. thing because I felt like if I can have any kind of control, which I had no control because I was a child, right? But I always wanted to be in control. So that that played a big part of my problem, too. My parents did end up getting divorced, and I think that improved greatly because the the fighting um when I was about six um let me think what happened after that then you know my my mom was a single mom and so we were left a lot of times with maybe not the greatest babysitters so um there was a lot of sexual abuse Mm. um with me and again always protecting my sister I would take anything not to let my little sister be touched it's okay. Just take a minute. It's okay. You would think after all this time I would be able to talk about that. But um, so sexual abuse was a lot. And um, as I got older, I discovered the alcohol. I think I started drinking when I was 14. Okay. And because I had had so much um, sexual abuse, sex was nothing to me. I became so promiscuous um I was just I felt like I was just looking for love or acceptance or I don't know what but you know I was I was that girl that you know everybody said was the easy one I had the worst reputation you could ever imagine um and you knew that and I knew that and I did not care Uh, I knew when I walked down the hall at school they were saying oh there's the I'm not gonna you know the bad word that that girl so Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't care if you were my friend and I slept with your boyfriend. That, that didn't really affect me because I, I don't know. Don't you think, though, that it was another way of numbing the pain? Yeah. And and, and it helped you not care. Yeah. Okay. And I think alcohol would have helped, too. Yes. To just numb the pain. Yep. And no one knew the pain you lived in. No one. No. I, I don't even think to my mom 
to this day. I, I could not share this stuff with her because I wouldn't want her to be hurt from it. So you, know? you have a close relationship with your mom? Very today? close. Wow, that's awesome. Very to close. Hear. Yeah. She's, she was at my house taking care of me yesterday when I was sick. That's so cool. So, you know, I just don't want her to feel any guilt because I, I again, I don't think her or my dad, I, they just, they were young and they were doing the best they could. I don't think, I don't see how any parent, like you feel guilt with your kids, right? Because oh, like, I mean, you know, like I didn't think my daughter was really sick one day and I sent her on to school and then the nurse called. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm such a bad mom. Okay. So moms feel guilty. Period, right? Period. Like they know they messed up in some ways. Right. And, um, you know, I remember telling my daughter, I was just kidding around, but <laughs> she, she remembers. I said, okay, so I'm going to pay for the counseling for the damage if I called Stinny, <laughs> which if I have, I'll pay for that. So you just let me know. Uh, but I won't pay for your dad's. Okay. <laughs> right. the damage, you know. So I was just kidding around. And she's like, well, I- I'm not damaged. Why are we having this conversation? <laughs> I'm like, I was just kidding. But, you know, just letting you know. Because uh, she was asking what counseling's for and why people go to counseling. Right. And then the same thing with life coaching. And so I'm not, so I'm not saying that you'll need to. But if you ever need to, and it's because of me, uh, I'll pay for that. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, you know, something that happened just recently. Uh, my mom did tell me um, she was kind of in a chatty mood and she said that's her one regret is that she didn't share um god with us when we were little and i said well i didn't even know you knew about god right and she said well i was raised pentecostal so it was i went to church three times a week all through my growing up Hmm. and she said i just couldn't take it anymore yeah. And I was just, she said, and, and that, she said, the way I was raised was totally different than, like, say, the church I go to, mm-hmm. you know. So she just said I was very angry at it, and I wasn't going to do that to my kids. So now if she had it to do again, she wouldn't do it that way. She would not. She would have done it a different she way. She would have found the kind of church you go to. Exactly. Yes. Which church do you go to? I go to Gateway. You and I love Gateway. Gateway. Gateway I love Pastor Morris. I can't. Oh, my gosh. He's amazing. Change so. your life? His his message on grace actually gave me the courage to start sharing. Um, oh, that's right. I remember you saying that. Yeah. That is really cool. And I had been trying different churches, but when I heard him, oh, my goodness, like I got every single word he was saying. He says it in a way that even somebody like me understands and it, it hits my heart and I can't say enough. Well, so okay. part of part I digress. Of, oh no, that's no, okay. Part of you want you know talking about your mom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that your mom's learned so much. Mm-hmm. But when you know, and you learned a lot from what not to do. Yes. And then also, you were kind of a mom to your siblings. Uh, very it's, much because so. it sounds like you protected them, you yep. cared for them, you sacrificed your own body for them. Yes. Right. Yes. That's amazing that you did that, and the fact that you would even be able to do that at such a young age. You know, God gave you an incredible ability to function, mm-hmm. um, and you're incredibly resilient to be able to go through all that. You yeah. know, and I do know that. People are a lot tougher than they ever realize. This is true. Yeah. <laughs> this is true. When I look back on my life, I'm like, wow, how did I do that? But all along, obviously, I had angels, and I just had a lot of help that I didn't even know. Right? They do say that everyone has a guardian angel. <laughs> this is true, I think. I knew I had to have one. Um, you were talking about the abuse. The abuse, yeah. So I think, you know, I hid into that. I got into the alcoholism. Um, I got pregnant you know, of course, I didn't know whose baby it was because I was the town 
girl. Um, so at that point, I was 16. My mom sent me to live with an aunt in Missouri um, to try to just get away from the nonsense. And I did good there for a while, but um, I, I had a stillborn um, baby uh, at that point. So um, the drinking started shortly thereafter, even in Missouri. So you know? how old were you at that point? I was 16. Oh, my goodness. So you are. I, and I had hit it. My mom didn't even know I was pregnant when, when she sent me to Missouri. She was just trying to get me away from the alcohol. Trying and the, to save you. She somehow. was trying to save me any way she could. And I hid the pregnancy. I knew I was pregnant, but I did not t- tell anyone. So I had a still stillborn. Um, the, the baby is about eight months along, and I delivered it myself. What? Um, oh, my goodness. Didn't realize I was in labor, but, you know, then they took me to the hospital or whatever, and then everybody knew. Um, so that was, you know, really a, a bit traumatizing. I mean, I looked, but I made it through. Okay. But the drinking did start shortly thereafter. Same, same thing. It didn't matter, just in a different location because I hadn't got any help other than I moved. Right. So I did finally graduate from high school there, which was a good thing. Um and then I actually moved to Las Vegas with my mom. She was the RN, and she was doing these uh, contracts, like three-month nursing contracts. And she asked me, oh, do you want to go with me for the summer? So I went there, and I ended up meeting my first husband. I, I You know, I don't know what everyone, what everyone else would think who's listening, but my first thought is, don't go to Vegas. That's like, where do you want to go? That's not good. Don't go to Vegas. But maybe it was a good thing. Well, it ended up being a good thing for a little while. Um, I mean, of course, the drinking never stopped with me. So it was just kind of who I was and everybody accepted it, even though I was, you know, 17 years old when I went to Vegas, Um, like just graduated from high school, 17. And I, I met a man there at the apartments and he worked there. And I turned 18 the month after and he asked me on a date. But the significant part about that is he is my mother's age. So he was 16 years older than me. Wow. And um, against all my mom's protests, I ended up staying and moving in with him. Mm. Um, you know, to me, he was the kindest person I had ever met in my life. It wasn't about sex, which was really weird to me. He, you know, so I mistaked that <laughs> for love. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I ended up marrying him and, and having a son with him. But, you know, it became pretty clear that, you know, I shouldn't have married him. I, he wasn't the one for me. He was too old. I had a daddy. I, I don't know what it was. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't right. But in the meantime, we had moved back. We had moved to Texas. So his job transferred him there, which got me closer to home. You know, all my family was in Oklahoma. Um, and then they all ended up being here. My sister and my mom and my brother all came here after I got here um, to Texas. So... Um, after I got divorced from him, I, I think my son was, um, two at the time and, um, the drinking really escalated at this point uh, a lot, so much so that I got my first run in with the law. I had, you know, even though I had been drinking heavily all these years, I've never really got in trouble with it, any kind of law, no problems, just, you know, morally I had problems, but not legally. Wow. Um, so I got my first DWI and um, you get probation or whatever. And shockingly enough, my first probation meeting, that lady, I'll just never forget this. That lady said, I think you're an alcoholic and you need to go to an AA meeting. 
And I thought she was completely insane. <laughs> I really did. Like, is, who is this lady? And she's crazy. What is an alcoholic? Like, I'd never heard those words before. Yeah. I think Ever. a lot of people feel that way when they hear it. I mean, I was extreme denial. And I would not go to one of those meetings. I refused. I was, I was, you know, in my mid-20s, and I was pretty defiant. I didn't realize I was so defiant, but when, you, when you're faced with a authority like that telling you what to do, I, I really rebelled against it in a mm. crazy way. Um, this was your probation officer? This or? is just a misdemeanor probation officer. Like, <laughs> okay. That's how I was really, really defiant. So um, my, my job, my, my job has always been in property management. So, you know, um, at the time I was in property management, I, I was a, uh, an assistant manager at this big community. And now your first husband got you into property yes, managing. He, yes. And he, now that was a blessing. That was a blessing. And that was the man I told you I met in Las Vegas. That's what he did for a living. He was an asset manager for big companies and he gave me my first job. And that's, I've just always stuck to that. And he taught you that. And he taught me that. Like I was doing like hard things, like manager things before I even knew how to lease an apartment just wow. because that's who I was with. Um, but anyways, my manager where I was working, um, she was doing diet pills. Uh, it was Fin Fin and Redux. Mm. This is back when, you know, it was all the rage. And I was really, even though I was an alcoholic, I was very sheltered to any kind of drugs. I just didn't really know that life existed. Like I was kind of clueless. Anyway, she said, here, try these. They're fun. Like every girl in the office, there was five of us. We all took it. I now did, you took it because you liked the feeling or no, you took it to I lose didn't, weight? No, no, no. I don't know why they were. T- I was skinny. <laughs> you have no idea why you're taking them. <laughs> now how old? So you were like, what, 25? 25, yeah. 26. I mean, part of that is the age, right? Yeah, I, mean, I guess. Oh I was just gosh. like, so she handed one out to every girl. And I mean, this is my boss giving me something. So I, I don't know. I tried it, but the surprising thing I discovered, and you got to remember, this is the same time I'm on this probation. I know. Right? So I took the, the diet pill and I went out to the bar like I normally would, and I drank my normal 12 pack. And what I discovered was I didn't get drunk and do anything crazy. The diet pill like counteracted that. So I thought, oh my gosh, see, I'm not an alcoholic. I can drink without getting drunk. That's really what I thought. So then I really wanted the diet pills. Right. I'm going to show that probation officer. And oh, and so in case you're tuning out soon <laughs> and you think I'll just take these pills and that way I won't. Yeah, I'll, I'll be able to function as an alcoholic. Please stay tuned. Listen, it, yes. it, it, it's, it, does, it didn't work. Okay, so we'll let everybody know that. Go ahead. <laughs> no, it did not work <laughs> at all. Bad. It was really bad. So uh, once the diet pills ran out, another girl at work said, oh, Hey, I got something. And she introduced me to meth. Um, all these friends. All these, these are all people I work with. Normal, like I just never, again, I was really kind of stupid to drugs. I didn't think they were bad. I'm like, they went to work every day. They seem normal. I, I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, my daughter, when she was in uh, Africa, she lost her malaria pills and she didn't let anybody know because she said she met lots of people that had had malaria and they were fine. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Now, she was like in 10th grade, but she said that. I just, our baby died. We all just stared at her like, she'll learn. She'll know. She'll learn. Yeah. So, Um, anyway, so, uh, you know, you hear the word meth, and it is as evil as you think it is. But um, 
to me, it, it, it has that, that beginning thing that you feel like everything's right in the right. world. It's so, it's How long did that tricky. last? How long did that last? Not long. I think I was unemployed within six months. Yeah. Now, six months. And that's that's what I find, too, that by six months, your whole life has fallen apart. Everything. Yeah. Because uh, it traps you. It feels good. And you feel like, and you can function better for quite a while. I did. And then it, but it takes you, by the time you realize it, it's already You're taken gone. you over. You're yes. Gone. It's, it's crazy. It's shocking. Like, I'm telling you again, I felt like I was the greatest mother in the world. I wasn't hungover anymore. I could get up and do stuff with my kid. My house was clean. All these crazy things that you think is okay. And within six months, I was just unemployable. I lost my job. I had no place to live. I hadn't made my car payments. You know, a total everything a drug addict is, I was within six months. Well, and that is a... Um quite a thing to have happened you know and so along that way did people try to stop you to help you shockingly no not one person that because they didn't know because you seemed good I seemed okay right and um all they knew was I wasn't drinking like they but of course I wasn't telling them I'm doing meth right (laughs) they were like they just see this great change in Carrie and then you You know but let me just tell you I have seen people and I have seen people in ministry Music ministers, in fact, that tend to, because they're very obsessive people, Mm -hmm. and they fall for that. Somehow they come across it, some nice friends, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And it helps them because they they work so hard, so long, crazy. They devote their life, and they're very passionate. And they don't need a lot of sleep, right? Right. And so, but it starts catching up with them, and they get a little older. And I've had them get addicted to meth, and their life just start crashing. I mean, I've had them come in, and they've done meth all week. Um, they perform over the weekend and crash on Monday, you know? And so even ministry people can get, I mean, truly fooled, fooled. Fooled. And and it's, there is a, you know, an arrogance in believing that you can handle it. Um, You're going to be strong enough or you're smart enough or you're wise enough Mm -hmm. or something that you can handle it when all these other people cannot. Right. And I, I, and I even believe that with lots of other things, but that especially, and I think that this is a good place for us to take a break so that when you, we come back. So at this point you are, you don't have a job. You don't have anything Uh, before. I have a, I still have a place to live, but I don't have a job. My car payment's behind, and things are starting to be a little rocky. Maybe other people are noticing, but nobody's noticed yet. How long before prison? Uh, Another 18 months. 18 months, okay. So when we get back from break, we want you to share about how you got there. And how you got away from there then the good to stuff. where you are now. <laughs> All right. Okay. And um, you guys stay tuned so you can hear the rest of Carrie's story. Just we'll be right back after break. All right. Thank I'm you. I'm living well. Life Solutions Coaching and Counseling in Fort Worth, Texas is a full-service wellness clinic providing individual, group, and family counseling, one-on-one coaching for life and wellness, and naturopathic treatments of medical massage therapy combined with essential oils to ensure you reach your health and wellness goals. Sessions are available in person or by phone. Get started on your new life today. Just call 817-232-1363 or go to LifeSolutionsCoachingAndCounseling.com or email them at LifeSolutions.com cc at yahoo.com we're all living in the moment but you never know when life is going to take a unique turn 
It doesn't have to be a challenge, but perhaps more of a detour to get where we need to be. On The Sky's the Limit, host Karen Levitt knows that experience, having faced it herself. Learn about her journey from a life-changing event to where she is now. Her guests are amazing people who are living these experiences and overcoming obstacles. Learn from their stories every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Listening to Living Well with Ann Beal. We'd love to hear from you with comments and questions about the show. Please send us an email to ablivingwell at gmail.com. That's ablivingwell at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, friends. Welcome back. We have Carrie here who's sharing her story uh, for our show on From Prison to Successful Female Entrepreneur. And Carrie is not in prison yet in her story. She is close. I can tell. Um, at this point, you're on meth. Yes. And six only took six months before everything fell apart. Yes. You were incredibly functional during those. What, Very much so. Four nobody, months? Yeah, nobody, nobody really knew. knew. Yeah, nobody knew. And so at this point, um, she's going to let us know how she ended up in prison twice and then how she got out of it and became very successful so just listen in to her story all right so um basically at the six month mark i had lost my job um wasn't really employable so i thought it would be a great idea to start being a drug dealer i was so afraid you're gonna say that (laughs) i was just i try not to find out all this stuff ahead of time but it looked it looked like it was going that way right yeah and it would make sense at your age to think this is the way to so who told you you could make money that way well it started off this way so my drug dealer i would go in and just buy you know like um I don't know. It's been so long. I don't remember all the terminology, but I would just go in and buy, let's say $50 worth. And she'd be like, Oh, Carrie, if you buy a hundred dollars worth, you get this much more. And then you could, you know, sell some to a friend and you could do yours for free. Oh, so they were always saying stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. So that's where I, so that's what kind of how it started. Sounds like a multi-level company. Exactly. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So I, you know, I started recruiting people and then before you know it, I'm selling drugs and, um, um, selling so many of them that the police maybe became clued into it and send in undercovers. Um, so I, um, I sold to undercover. Um, who, who are those people? Like Detectives those? or, or, or no, yeah. The, they send people in. I don't know, whatever. I, I, I sold four times to them over a six month period and they um, indicted me. All right. So I indicted you. They indicted me. I went to TDC. I, I took a plea bargain and got five years. Um, TDC time. Is that Texas Department of Corrections? Texas Department. The big, I remember, uh, you know, death row. Like, I never, I'd only been in jail one time, like for a DWI, and that was like for 12 hours. And I called somebody every hour on the hour the whole time I was there. So yeah. I, that was my only experience in jail. And then I went straight to TDC. Um, so I, I worked on the. I don't know if you know anything about TDC. I worked in the fields. They I don't know a lot about it, but I, I do see guys sometimes on the highway. No. Or on, so you were on the field. I was in the field. They call it the Ho Squad. 
Um, is it like the movies where you're singing? Yes. And the hoes are you going sing down. songs and the Aggies got to hit the ground at the same time. And there's men on horses with guns pointed at you. This is true then. It is very true. And you know what? I did the best job I could do. The perfectionist, you did a good <laughs> My job. My perfectionist came out even then. I was a good hoer. Um, but anyways, I, you make the best. I, I, honestly, you make the best of whatever situation. I feel like, you know, somehow your spirit's strong enough to get through it. And I got through it. And then. Um, but can I, how horrible was it? Oh, um, I don't ever want to go back. But it was, it was really horrible. It's shockingly, um, you know, I mean, all the lesbianism that goes on there right in front of your eyes it's um is there violence in there very Very much my first uh cellmate i was on cell block um my first was there for stabbing her boyfriend like a hundred times um but yeah lots of violence um so they put in the violent criminals with the non-violent criminals oh yeah at tdc it's not i mean i don't think uh, yeah there were murderers in there too i I mean Yes. It doesn't matter. It just depends on how long they've been there and how good they act. And I'm sure there's a system. There's a sorting system. But, yeah, it doesn't matter if you're – it doesn't matter. So how long were you in the first time? Um, I think it was about – so, you, well, you get your parole answer. So I got a parole answer at about, I think, 18 months of serving. And then the parole answer says um, – you're not re- rehabilitated enough. We're not giving you parole. We're going to send you to something called Safe P, which is uh, drug drug addiction, but you're still in a... Um, rehab kind of thing? It's like a rehab, but it's uh, behavior modification. Oh, Okay, so you so I went from TDC, the you know big prison, to a, a Safe P unit, which is still all the same. You have the guards, the barbed wire, the you're still in prison, um, but you're in a treatment instead of you know working in the fields all day you're in classes so and I honestly thought I I did everything I could I was like I'm gonna take this opportunity Mm -hmm. and I'm gonna work hard one small problem um not one time did I ever tell any of these counselors or anyone that I drank ever they, and they never asked. They never asked. I, I don't even understand that's possible because we always know it's comorbid. There's always one addiction. There's always more than no. one. To me, in my mind, and even if they would have asked, I probably would have denied it. Okay. In my mind, um, drugs had got me in prison and that was my problem. Mm-hmm. Period. That's what I thought. So I never went to an AA meeting. I always went to NA, which honestly, I never really got. I just did it because you have to. I only discussed my drug problems. I just never talked about alcohol at all. All right. So, and, and what's interesting is the rehab doesn't apply to both. Obviously, from what you're saying is. I mean, it probably if I would have, you know, mentioned it. <laughs> hey, uh, I, I drink like a fish, anything. I mean, they would have addressed it. I mean, they're there to help. But I, I don't blame them at all. So that guy. So that's what led you to the going downhill again when you got yeah, out. So I made it through. Then you go to a, a sober living place. I worked hard in sober living. My family was back. Uh, got to see my kids. I mean, everything was awesome. I had a job. I worked at Luby's um, cafeteria. You have to have a job. I saved up money. And um, I remember the night I got out of the halfway house. I got released to my mother. Um, but I had to work that night. So I, of course I went to work and when the restaurant closed, I remember my boss walking up to me and handed me a Luby's cup. I look in it and it's full of beer. Now your bosses are uh, destructive people in your life. 
actually. <laughs> You're right. I'm just saying. I've, I've never noticed that before, but, you know, shockingly. And I was like, but the alcohol in me, I never even questioned everything I had just done. I guzzled that thing, and it was so good. Right. And I was off and running. Right. Period. I was on parole at the time. Um, I think within a month, I was back to using meth. And um, then within maybe four months, I was running for par- from parole. I had a blue warrant. Mm. Um, now, oddly enough, the man who gave me the beer, I, I'll, I just have to tell you, he did not know I was an alcoholic because, of course, I never talked about that with anyone. But you would think... A lot of people don't associate alcohol, beer, and drugs as being on the same level. Well, they don't. A lot of people don't associate beer as that. You become a, you can become an alcoholic through beer, right? right. Beer's just beer, right? So, in his defense, I, I did end up marrying him. <laughs> is that who you're married to now? I'm, I'm just mar- laughing because I just said these people are very destructive in your we life. We just uh, we just celebrated our 12th anniversary, so. <laughs> Congratulations. I'm sorry. I'm but sorry. he didn't know. I'm sure if he knew what he was setting off, he would have never done that because he's a nice person. Um, anyway, so. He was just trying to be cool. He was trying to be cool. And he was young. I have to say, he's 10 years younger than me. So that's just what they did. You know, they drink beer after work. And the, I could finally be part of the group right. really is what it was. They all did it. I just didn't know because I went home to the halfway house every night. So you went back to prison. How long? Um. Okay, so when I went back to prison, it was 18 months. I was on the run the whole time, but I I ended up picking up um, four new charges when they got me. So I had four new felony charges. Are these stealing? Um, Drug dealing. Three possessions and a um, that I I had a stolen car. Um, So. You know, you plea, I plea bargained to two, and I just knew they were sending me back to TDC. Why, why wouldn't they? That's what I deserved. I mean, really, I had just, I was prepared for that. But for some reason, again, angels, God, I, I don't know. It wasn't part of my story. They sent me to um, a Dallas County drug court, and um, it's through a judge named Layla Mays. Layla Mays. She, she is incredible. So her court is called uh, Successful Treatment of Addiction Through Collaboration. And, um, it's, and that works. Hey, it worked for me. So basically, I, I did seven months in, um, in the county jail trying for them to figure out what are they going to do with me. Parole didn't necessarily want to let me go. but And then Dallas County had these charges against me. So finally, the parole board agreed to let me go to this treatment program. So I go through another behavior modification program. Okay, that's seven, this is about seven months. And then you go to, uh, same thing. So you told them about alcohol this time. Well, this time, this is, this is the amazing thing. The first night I was at that place, um, a girl, she became my first sponsor. Her, her name's Fran M. And I still speak to her to this day. She's amazing. Um, but she was probably 20 years old. And you have to think at this point, I'm about 35, 36 years old, um, She's got tattoos, but she's so beautiful. And she came to share her story that night. And her story was my story, how she used meth to not drink. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm an alcoholic. I'll never remember. I went to bed that night, and I cried myself to sleep thinking, I'm an alcoholic. I did not want to be an alcoholic, but I'm an alcoholic. And once I gathered that and I accepted it, man, everything was different. Everything was different. Everything was different. And um, 
Because I don't think, oh, let me go use drugs. The only time I would ever think about using a drug is if I was drunk. So you had gotten really to where you wouldn't do that until, unless you got back on the alcohol and you weren't thinking exactly. clearly. Exactly. Okay. The alcohol just, you know, lets everything go and then you start thinking you can do anything. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. all, it all goes together. So um, I, I made it through um, that. Once I got out, you know, that's not it. You, you go to court once a week. You um, drug test once a week. You call in every morning if it says your color. Um you go do an eye scan. Like, it's very intense. You you have to go to meetings every day. So um, they kind of helped me learn to live life. But along the way, since I had realized I was an alcoholic, I made a lot of decisions. Hmm. Um, one of the first being that I, I really think changed everything for me. When I got out and I was able to, like, even hear music, I noticed right away that when I hear the music, whether it was rock or country, it would set something off in me. It was a trigger. Trigger. Bad, bad trigger for me. And so I made a decision my second day in freedom. I would never listen to that music again. And I found it that KLTY station. KLTY. Okay. I found that station and that's all I listened to. And 94.9. It was 94.9. Mm-hmm. It was so hard. But what I learned from it, like I, I hated it at first. I was like, oh God, this God music. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't a Christian yet. I was nowhere near that. But that music... Let me know that because if you listen to it, it speak it starts speaking to my heart and it started healing me and it started putting good thoughts in my head. And before I knew it, I was like having all these changes and success and I started doing things and I had a job in property management. My first ex-husband, as a matter of fact. Um, that is ironic. Really. It is ironic. I have to I, I do want to say something real quick about him. So I held I held a lot of resentments about my first ex-husband. I blamed him for everything. Mm. If he wouldn't have cheated on me, if he wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have started drinking more. Then I wouldn't have went to prison. So when I started working the steps with Miss um, Fran, and I told her how much, oh, this horrible man, she's like, wait a second. <laughs> she's like, uh, no, no. So she set me straight, and she made me pray for him every night for two weeks for his health, happiness, and prosperity. And, and you know what? I let people know that, that when you ha- just hate someone, and you blame them for all your problems, or you just really just hate them. You pray for them, it changes your heart. It does change my heart. And the weird thing, and she told me, I don't even care if you mean it, right? So I ended up praying praying this the whole time I was in rehab. Maybe it took me three or four months before I finally was able to think of him without hatred. But by letting, by being able to do that, that hatred's killing you. Yeah. And so she knew that was part of how you heal. Exactly, exactly. And the weird thing is, is, he called me because we have a son together. So he called me um, the day I before I was he knew I was getting out of rehab and he offered me a job. Surpri- I mean, in property management, I never thought I could work in property management again because I had all these felons. I mean, you can't even get an apartment when you're a felon. Right. And um, he, he wanted me to be the bookkeeper at his property management company. So I was like, really? Well, you were like, I don't know how wise that is, guy. Yeah. But Anyways, he trusted you. He trusted me. And um, that's so so I got back into my job. Like all these things start happening, all these blessings. So I'm listening to Christian music every day. I'm going to my meetings. I'm doing a job in property management. I'm a functioning member of society again in some way. And, and as time goes on, you know, this is nine years later. But I ended up, you know, he gave me the company. So he's no longer a part of it. This, so this is how you know me. <laughs> through, yeah, <laughs> through the so, company. Yes. Yeah. And I want to say that along this process, I, I'm, bad things still happen. 
right? Oh, so yeah, that- you still have to face life. And I think um, when he decided to, you know, make the company mine, I had to get a real estate license. And um, well, how would you have done that? Well, you're not in your head. I applied and I went through the school and I passed the test and they sent me a 17 page letter saying all the reasons why I was morally um, inept to ever be a Texas real estate license holder. And I was pretty devastated by that. Um, and, but I didn't give up hope. You know, I, I, I think at that point is when I pressed in further to the Lord. And that's about the same time that I found Gateway. So, so I kind of put that on the back burner. I still was, you know, did maintenance. I still did, you know, my normal job. I just couldn't, I, I couldn't do any of the real estate licensing functions, right? Mm-hmm. My husband's also a realtor. So, you know, I, I had to follow the back burner and just, you know, do the things that I could for a long time. But I, you know, I just pressed into the Lord and um, about two years after they denied me, I, I still go to therapy, by the way. It used to be counseling, but now I call it therapy because I pay for it. <laughs> and I love my therapist because, you know, she went through this, all through this with me. Good. Trying to decide. And I said, well, maybe I need to switch careers. What about if I'm a LC uh, licensed chemical dependency counselor? Mm-hmm. That would be good. And she goes, oh, that's good. She said, I know for a fact you can, uh, you can ask them first. You can apply first before you go waste all your time on school so I went and did my fingerprints and I applied and I got a letter back saying they would no problem I would pass when she saw that letter she said Carrie apply for your real estate license yeah because you fingerprinted and everything yeah oh yeah I had done that already she said go apply for your real estate license again this is two years later she said Trust me. Because it's state license you'd applied for. It's already. a state license. Yes. So I applied for my real estate license again. And um, long story short, I got it this time. And I, yes. I, I think that's just God. That's God. Yeah. That's totally, I, I give all that to God. He, he found a way when there was no way. Well, that is wonderful. And so the tragedies do come and go. I mean, I think that's just part of life. It's hard. Yes. And there's good and there's bad. There's there more good than bad. Mm-hmm. And so part of sobriety and staying well in or staying well in any part of life is that when that when those hardships come and they will come, mm-hmm. having the coping skills, knowing where to turn, having support, mm-hmm. having loved ones, having these skills that apparently you have. Yes. Um, what are the main things now that keep you? sober and keep you well i mean first and foremost it's it's god and my relationship with him i mean god first now when you say that right mm-hmm. um how do you do that so people I understand. Pray, okay mainly mainly it's having a conscience contact with god every single day so you so talk to him i talk to him i talk to him constantly in my head and I always thought I wasn't a good prayer. Like, I, I don't know how to pray and all that stuff. But I'm I'm learning, like, when I go into women's prayer, even though it's, you know, a little bit hard for me, I'm getting better and better at it. But I pray really good uh, when I work out. So that's that's really important. I work out and I pray. Yeah. Do you work out every day? Every day. Is that part of your therapy? It, it is part of my therapy. Yeah. And it's amazing. What happens is uh, when you work out, that stuff, I don't know the science behind it, but whatever it is makes me feel higher than anything I've ever experienced. Yeah, that would be endorphins. So endorphins, there you go. <laughs> yeah. I knew you would know. But that and just, I mean, I, I pray about everything. If there's a problem, I, I give us God first because I, I don't know. When I try to control everything and be perfect, it doesn't work. So I always strive for excellence, but I'm not perfect. 
And that's good to keep reminding yourself instead of shaming yourself for not being perfect. Because I know that a lot of people that are hooked on drugs and alcohol, they are very gifted people, meaning Mm -hmm. they have a gifted brain, they're perfectionists, Mm -hmm. and they have the ability to do more than most people possibly can do and think deeper than most people possibly can. Um, And so they can scare themselves to death, get get a lot of anxiety, all those kinds of things that alcohol and drugs can help, right? Mm -hmm. But they, if they worked great guess what they start making you sick and they trap you and then you go downhill and so that is not the way you found the way I did so you found God you go to church you pray um, and gateway is the church for you because you feel real it feels real it feels amazing I feel like it speaks like sometimes I think oh this message is just for me (laughs) like I seriously feel that way yeah so it's on your it's really connects with you it's your kind of church okay and then you work out work out um, I try my best not to take any any kind of chemicals, so I, I fall real heavily onto the ins- essential oils, right? Whether for feelings or for you know, like yesterday I was sick. I used um, the t- the tummy guys all day. Die guys, thank you. Die-gize. And then the thieves on the feet. So, um, you know, I, I try to do that. I again try to help others. Yeah. Um, now, others first. tell me about your marriage. Oh. <laughs> My marriage is good. We have we have uh, two little boys, and these little boys know nothing of my past. Yeah, um, they are three and seven, and it's like God gave me a whole new chance to be a good mother because I do have two older kids that know um, about where I come from. But I'm still an inspiration to them. Like it gives them courage that they can do it. One of my 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 oldest son is 22, and he's a heroin addict. So that's mm. that's another reason I stay sober. <laughs> yeah. Because I have to let him know that all things are possible. Yeah. So um you know, my my marriage is is good. We're building a house right now. Um we work hard. We You always seem so joyful. Yes. You know, when you come in, I see joy. Yes. I see your eyes are lit up. I you have a bounce in your step, you know, and I've seen this for years. Yep. And so um you treat your employees so well <laughs> and they love you. And um, and they put up with your essential oils that you have for them, right? Yes. To help them focus better and all this kind of stuff, right? Yes. And so, yeah. Now, if people, um, um, if you would like to reach Carrie, I just ask that you you um, go to my email, ablivingwell at gmail.com. You want to give your email? Um, can I give my Twitter? Give your Twitter. Okay. So, my tw- uh, Twitter account is at chatfield211. I share, you know, property management, I share God, and I and share working out, because those are my three main things. Yeah, and you can, they can message you on Twitter, too. Oh, yes, yeah. you can send me a message, anything you like. And so, you know, I just thank you so much for being here. Uh, I know that for you, this is part of your therapy as well, sharing with yes. others, and so we're just so thankful. And I hope if you were feeling low today, that Carrie picked you up, oh. you know, and if, if you've been anywhere she's been, just that she motivated you and encouraged you and gave you the hope that she tries to reach out to give everyone with her life and with her ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just thank you so much for being on. Yeah. Now, for you now, you're sharing at the prisons and you're sharing at the courts. For I just you, shared at the court last Friday for the first time, and that was uh, that was powerful. Wow, I bet it was. And that was different because were they young or were they old? No, it doesn't matter. So these yeah, were people old. getting out of 
prison? Uh, getting out of the stack program. Oh, okay. What the, is that? That's the thing that I went through, the intensive probation where you go to court every week. Oh, gosh. And that's hard. They yeah. expect so, a lot. So they're going into the world on their own for the first time. And I was just there to bring hope. I didn't share my story with them, but I told them what I did to get, to get well. And stay well. Exactly. Wonderful. And we just thank you for listening to Living Well. And if you would like to counsel or coach with me or anyone on our staff, just reach us at lifesolutionscoachingandcounseling.com. Or you may call us 817-232-1363. And you have a blessed day. You too, Carrie. Thank you so much. Thank you for letting me share. You are so welcome. (laughs) Wonderful. Have a wonderful week, guys. And live well. Thank you again for joining us. Living Well with Ann Beal airs live every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We can't wait to see you again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.